0: It took me a while to kind of really get anything going. So it was six months in before I really found someone ready to go that was willing to work with me, who was green as they come. And I sold that house. I had a $3,000 check. I quit my job, went full-time in real estate. I sold 17 houses my first year.
1: Welcome to Diggs Influencer Podcast, the titans of real estate, the show that provides direct access to the real estate industry's top movers and shakers as they share invaluable insight on how to best navigate and succeed in any market. I'm your host, Warren Dow, founder and CEO of M3 Media and publisher of Diggs Magazine. In this episode, Ed Kaminsky... Thank you to our show sponsor, Bo Concept. So allow me to introduce our distinguished guest, Ed Kaminsky to Dig Studio. Welcome, Ed. Thanks, Warren. Glad to be here. So, Ed, you had a a ranking, a very impressive ranking for 2018. You were ranked number 85, top teams by transaction volume by Real Trends, and you did a whopping 198 million dollars in volume.
0: Yeah, we did about $200 million in, in volume last year, which I guess puts us there. And um, we're excited to have helped that many people get their homes sold or, or find new homes. And But I also see there's 84 people ahead of me that I need to be uh, just increasing what we do to see if we can climb that ladder even further.
1: And you've been on that list for quite some time. You've been in the top 100 for...
0: Yeah, we, we've been on that a top list. You know, we used to be on the top individual list. We've moved it to the team list because I think anybody doing that kind of volume really has some sort of team. So I have to give credit to my team who help us achieve that as well.
1: So let's give the audience a little bit sort of some of your backstory, um, starting with, you know, where did you grow up?
0: You know, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I was there until, uh, I was 18 years old, but, uh, yeah, I went, uh, Grew up in a small town, uh, pretty measly beginnings, to be honest with you, and always looked at what other great people in this world were doing and thought I should be a part of that
1: group. So what were what, what were some of your interests when you were like a, in your youth or a, a young adult?
0: You know, honestly, because I didn't have anything, I was always trying to figure out how to get something, right? So from a young age, I... I think the first thing I I ever sold was some stickers I found in a a dumpster. They threw out a whole brand new box of stickers. And I was like, what a waste. (laughs) I said, I could sell these things. So I took the box home on my bike, and they said, Kib on it. I'll never forget it. It was like an oval red sticker. And said, K-I-B. And below it said, Cash is Best. So I thought maybe they misspelled it. It should have been C-I-B or whatever. And that's why they threw them out. Nonetheless, I started selling them for a nickel a piece in school until I got yelled at by the teacher. And, but honestly, within 90 days of picking up that box, I started seeing stickers all over the state of Ohio on the back of cars. And I knew I was, I was onto something. Yeah, that's cool. That was at seven years old.
1: (laughs) So you were quite enterprising even back then. So what did you do before you got into real estate? Like some of the things you did, jobs and...
0: You know, I had the usual teenager jobs of mowing lawns and working at a fast food restaurant and working at a grocery store, you know, just to get some extra money as a kid growing up. And then enough to actually pay for myself to get through really what was a trade school. Uh, I got into the jewelry business. So I wanted to get out to California where the school was uh, so I had to raise enough money as a kid to do it because my parents weren't able to provide. And I did that. And I came out to California, uh, discovered it, discovered Santa Monica and went to school, got my degree in gemology and went into the the jewelry industry for the beginning of my career. And I actually went to Houston for a couple years after I graduated because my father was there at the time. And so I, you know, kind of, had my first real job in Houston mm-hmm. as an adult, but learned I liked California better. And then after a couple of years, literally just got in my car, sent out a couple hundred resumes. I picked up, uh, you know, back then we used phone books, got those at the library. So I figured out where, where do I find all the jewelry stores in California? They didn't have the internet, so I just mailed out hundreds of resumes to California then got in my car and drove out and then went and interviewed with a bunch of places and got a job. So that's how I ended up in California at a pretty young age with a three month old child in tow.
1: Nice. So it's speaking of phone books. It's funny. That was the phone book was my best friend back in the day. I sold insurance mm-hmm. as my first job. And uh, literally it's true what they say about insurance. They say, here's your desk. Here's a pen. Here's a phone book. And there's awesome the people. people yeah. and literally, <laughs> you, okay. And you, you, you know, you dial and you, and you, it's, it's rough, but it's funny how, uh, you know, but similar to sort of my story, I'm sure like what, what impact or what did you learn from the jewelry side of things that you were able to translate or take with you?
0: You know, there was no question, uh, jewelry that really what I was involved in there was understanding sales and customer service. That was really the biggest thing I learned in that industry other than how to, you know, know if it's a diamond or not a diamond and how valuable it is. But I was learning how to succeed in business. Uh, I saw the company I was with grow very quickly and then go into bankruptcy at some point, right? So I saw how growing pains can affect a business. So I looked at a lot of different things. I was always paying attention to ownership and management and trying to understand how things were done. And then, uh, you know, they promoted me to management at a very young age. I was managing people twice my age. And one of those, you know, employees was going to the real estate course. And I still really honestly wasn't making a ton of money. I was working a lot of hours. I was working retail. Retail, stores close at 9 o'clock. If you're in a jewelry business, you got to put it all away at 9 o'clock, which means it takes you another 20 or 30 minutes. And you're not out of there until 9.30. So to me... It shaped me, wrong or right, to believe the workday ends at nine PM. Where everyone else's trains it ends at five. So when I switched into real estate, which I did, I always noticed around six o'clock everyone was leaving. Uh, where are they going?
1: You had an advantage day one. There's three more
0: hours left in the day. So I just grinded out for another three hours on the phone, you know, making calls and trying to make things happen. And I picked up that habit, good or bad. But I find that you know, to succeed, for me, it's not what I do during the first eight hours, what I do with the extra two or three hours after that, that elevates me to the ability to provide more service to my clients, find more clients, hone my skills, everything else that I need to do, I'm doing with those extra time.
1: So let me take you back real quick. So what, why did you get into real estate? What was the sort of the t- turning point that you said... You know, was it just sort of I'm going to try this, or was yeah?
0: It- well, no. Honestly, I got my real estate license because I wanted to know about real estate. It wasn't to get a job in it. But what I found interesting, which was the opposite of phone book uh, situation, was I kept getting letters in the mail. Of people offering me jobs. And I didn't even send out any resumes. like, what the heck's going on here? So I literally just started talking to all these people. Who are offering me jobs, and I realized. As I, you learn about this business, when you're new, is they weren't offering you a job as much as they were asking you to give them money to work for them. This was their opportunity to grow their company, and much
1: when, like the insurance business that yeah, I was in. I guess. So to get into the
0: real estate business, you have to spend money. You have to spend money to be at the office. You have to spend money to market. You have to spend, spend, spend. And so, the bottom line was I I was going to try it out, and I started. You know, in, in jewelry, I was either working nine to five uh, or I was working 12 to nine in those shifts. So I would take those extra three hours. If I was on the nine to five shift, I'd go grab dinner and I'd work from six to nine in real estate. And if I was on the, tw- the one to nine shift is what it was, I'd go in the real estate office at nine and work till noon, take a lunch break and go in. And so I was working in these different three hour increments and then my days off in, in real estate, trying to figure it out learn what it was and i sold a house one day
1: so tell me about that first sale <laughs> I,
0: I i won't forget it because when i got in the business like your insurance phone book story i said i didn't really understand real estate so i said okay i'm here i'm day one i'm sitting in the real estate office it was on pch and avenue lee down in South down beach and I remember sitting there saying, "Okay, I'm ready. Where's the customers? <laughs> I'm like waiting for them to walk in the door. Like I'm ready to go. Let's this go. This is like a retail. Right.
1: This is retail. Where, where, yeah. the, where are the buyers? <laughs> where are they?
0: So the manager comes over. He goes, "What are you doing?". I said, "I'm, I'm waiting, waiting for what? My customers." He goes, "There are no customers. You got to go get them yourself." I go, "What are you talking about?". So he's, you know, he said, "You got to go out and knock doors." So I went and knocked doors and, you know, I chose Redondo Beach as a place to knock. And it took me a while to kind of really get anything going. But I'll never forget. I walked by this one house and I I walked past it because it didn't have a driveway. It didn't have a sidewalk. It was just like this little miniature house in the back of the lot. And it just looked a little scary, to be honest with you. So I skipped it. But then I started thinking, hmm, why did I skip it? Should I skip it? And I went back. And I knocked on the door and uh, a young woman answers the door and said, hi, I'm Edward Century 21, where I was at the time. I said, do you want to sell your house? She goes, oh, you want to talk to my husband? Here. And she hands me a phone, hands me her phone. I go, hello? (laughs) and I was used to cold calling anyway, so I was pretty comfortable on the phone. He San Edward, do you want to sell your house? He says, yeah, I do. Oh, good. <laughs> you so like, I, this is easy. <laughs> <laughs> one for one, The diamond in the rough. Dude, it wasn't one for one. Okay. That was that was six months of pounding the pavement before I sold my first house. So it was six months in before I really found someone ready to go that was willing to work with me, who was green as they come. And I sold that house. And as soon as I closed it, which at the time I thought was a, a big closing, I got $3,000.
1: What was the price, the home price? 200 one ninety, yeah, one ninety. So you got a check for three thousand. Yeah,
0: six came to the brokerage. I got half, which was three grand, and I had a three thousand dollar check. And it was in December, and in the jewelry business, December was busy because of the holidays. And I got another three thousand check for a commission. So I had six thousand dollars to my name. I said, "Oh, I could live for six months on this." So I quit my job, went full time into real estate, and that first full year, which was two. Uh, 2000 it was 1988 I sold 17 houses my first year which was maybe triple uh, the income what I made in the jewelry business and it was on my way I got a taste of it I had some success but I worked my butt off I think harder than anybody in that office and I think I still continue with those same habits today
1: that's great so so th- that was your first sale mm-hmm. right 190 200 what what was your biggest sale? What's your biggest sale? Well, I sold a home last
0: week for seventeen million. I represented both sides, so that was—I guess it's like for most people—a thirty-four million-dollar sale. So that was pretty good.
1: That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And was that was that your biggest commission check? Your single biggest commission check, you think? You
0: know, I, I launched a company years ago called Premier States Auction Company, where we use the auction process to sell very unique homes across the the globe. And we've had some really big sales within that company that have been significant and very large commission checks, you know, split amongst the team and the company. So I would say it's, you know, equivalent to to some of those deals we have done there.
1: So that, that brings me to a point like your your business model has evolved went going from the C21 and like now you've got a very unique model that you've built. With you know you talk about premier, but you have sports star relocation, um, you've got a group now, a team you, you represent different segments and different you know um
0: we do we i mean we we are we have evolved into a really dynamic you know team of highly talented experts that are highly effective. At two things. I mean, our customers want two things, Warren. One, they want to find their dream home. They want to know they're paying the right price, and they want to find things that maybe others can't. And we have to have the skill sets and ability to do that, right? And so being able to dig out inventory that's not on the market is important to them. Guiding them on whether it's a, a good value, a good location, can they sell it later down the road, is important to them. So that becomes critical, but probably more importantly is our seller clients, where they've got unique properties, or they can have the uh, run-of-the-mill property. It really doesn't matter. We cover any. We still cover, you know, very affordable properties that are in today's market to five hundred thousand dollars, to you know seventeen million dollar beachfront homes and everything in between, and they all want the same thing. They want as much money as they can get. They want as little headaches as possible.
1: I can finish wa- the third. No, go ahead.
0: <laughs> and they they want to know that it's going to happen within a, a reasonable time frame. Yeah,
1: less time, less stress, more money. And rule of thirds. Yeah,
0: and just because you have a real estate license doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's no different than a driver's license. To be honest with you, you know, if if you give a sixteen-year-old a, a driver's license who's had four hours of driving experience, they're not as good as a race car driver who's been racing cars for 18 years. They still have a driver's license, but there's a big difference when it comes from the skill sets that exist between us as, as
1: brokers. Let me ask you this. I want to take, take you back to C21 real quick again because didn't Raju work there with you as well? at he that time? He did,
0: yeah, he was a big inspiration for me. When, when I started, he was there. He had a couple years on me, and
1: uh, we worked together for a, a lot of years. So the reason I bring this up is because, as you know, the, you know, the, the DIGS model is all built around the 80-20 rule, right? 20% of the agents, in this case, do 80% of the business. Right. And, and hyper-local luxury, you know, it might be 85-15 or 90-10. Correct. So we focus on the 10, the 15, to partner with and and it's, it sounds like or or I, I should ask you did you find that when you started and you were young and like okay who are the players who are the 10 I want to I want to hang with those guys to kind of try to I try always, to get as much information yeah. or learn or
0: You know what I, I I recognized pretty quickly who the leaders were and honestly I became one of them pretty quickly in in the realm of of, volume of sales but there were people always looked up to that were had a head start and you learn from them. You see what they're doing, but I also look beyond our walls of the South Bay bubble because there's a lot of great successful people in this industry that you can learn from both locally. here, there's a lot of great agents in the South Bay that do, everybody does their business a little bit differently. And I think some of them have really great skills and I pay attention. And there's a lot of agents outside of our marketplace that have incredible skills uh, in a lot of different ways from the way they, you know, service their clients, get the job done, build their business. And so I'm constantly seeking out the leaders in the real estate business, in the business world, and trying to figure out what what happens. I'm in what's called a mastermind group. And we made it uh, one of our tasks this month to interview somebody that is outside of the in, the real estate industry that has had immense success. And we, we tried to put a, a minimum net worth value of them of having $250 million net worth or higher to include them on the interview list. And so you learn such great things about so many different ways of, of life and business and everything else from from people.
1: Yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, d- who did you end up interviewing, or have you interviewed this person yet?
0: Yeah, I can't say I know their net worth, so I don't want to say that. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> I interviewed
0: Bill Bloomfield, and he had uh, a lot of different successes in in uh, coin-operated laundry services to real estate to Today is passion is politics, so a very interesting perspective. But here, here's what I found the, con, you know, congruency amongst most of these leaders in business, is because my my focus of the conversation was, what do we do to make sure our businesses surviving or growing or being disrupted or anything else? And there was no question; it was amongst every single one said the same thing. It's your people. It's the people you hire. It's the people you work with. It's the strength and the quality of the people that you, you put in your workplace that is going to decide whether you're going to grow or you're not going to grow. It's number one, by far, it was hands down uh, an equal answer across all industries.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm a voracious reader of, you know, business books and, Marketing leaders and leaders and it's I totally understand that. Point. You
0: know, I heard a great line. It was some of the most successful people that have built amazing things did not come from their own industry, right? So if you look at Elon Musk who built the Tesla, he didn't come from what Ford or Chevy or any of these, right? And so it was very interesting that, that the greatest people in business didn't come from that business. And the other thing I found very interesting was trying to find out from your customer base what's important is not always the right answer as stated by Mr. Ford, who stated, if I asked the people of my time what they really wanted, they would have told me they wanted a faster horse
1: yeah (laughs) i've heard that actually yeah that's great (laughs) looking for a personal stylist for your home check out bow concept one of their design consultants can help you make the most out of your space no request is too big or small for living dining sleeping home office and outdoor spaces and check out their Southern California showrooms in Orange County and Costa Mesa and also in Los Angeles and La Brea. For more information, visit Bo Concept at bowconcept.com. Email info at bowconcept.la. No, it's kind of like what Steve Jobs said, too. Like, you know, people don't know what they want until you show it to them. Right. You yeah. know, he invented one of the greatest geniuses of our time, right? Sure. Absolutely. Um, Apple, yeah, yeah and, they, and they, you know, so there's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm always, you know inspired and, and sort of rejuvenated by like listening and trying to sponge knowledge from people in other industries and right and what, have, what you know, great leaders have done.
0: So you continue to learn how little, you know,
1: no, yeah, totally. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's sort of the best position I find, like, you know, not necessarily being fearful, but being open that, you know, I, I used to like to say, I was saying like, I always want to be the dumbest guy in the room because if I'm the dumbest guy that means I'm surrounded by a lot of smart people right. you know or you know so that's sort of the goal yeah and, you get that totally yeah. you know and mm-hmm. and be the dumbest guy in the room therefore sure. you're you're actually the smartest guy because you you're surrounding yourself <laughs> with so let's get some intel and some insight because how long have you been in this business
0: at uh, 31 years 31
1: years so mm-hmm. you can only imagine one can only imagine how much knowledge you have you know, acquired in that 31 years, like it's beyond, and it's 31 years in this market, South Bay, right? Yeah. The whole time, the whole time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, you know, three or four real estate cycles, right? Yeah, no, I've
0: been through many ups and downs now and uh, probably another one around the corner, I'm sure.
1: So this is what, you know, in in my travels, you know, there's on the other side of the coin, people that look at people like you who are, you know, a top performer and they go, oh, it's, you know, these guys make all this money and it's so easy. What do they do? And it's like, you know, it's like, it, it, A, it's beyond hard work. And, and Well, there's definitely a
0: misconception about, you know, how people see us, I know, as agents uh, looking from the outside in especially with the admin and the TV shows and everything else that are going on and they're making a million bucks a deal and, you know, they're just, you know, sell four houses and make $40 billion. But, you know, it's... <laughs> I think you ask the, the 80-20 rule, ask the 80% that aren't making it how hard they work their butts off to make nothing yep. and, you know, how tough this industry actually
1: is right? well and the churn yeah. too yeah the churn you know there's over a million licensed agents in the u.s
0: over a million. yeah getting a million four or something like that and that,
1: and that drops in cycles by
0: a big factor it does it, yeah it,
1: you know so the
0: next cycle we'll lose 25 percent yeah yeah at least
1: so that's why i bring it up because 31 years in the market i mean it's invaluable uh experience and, and knowledge that you have so what would be the best advice you would give to a seller today
0: to a seller. Okay. Well, first of all, when it comes to selling in a market that's meeting either a leveling off period, a future drop-off period, you certainly have to be price sensitive. Everyone says that, but you know, it's important to understand where to price it and why. You know, why why is it 5 million dollars? You know, how does the buyers perceive it, and what is the potential cost of loss by overpricing it? Are you willing to take that loss? There's certainly, if we hit a downturn, which no one knows for sure, I can't say for sure we're going to hit it, but the amount of money I have seen sellers lose in these downturning markets because they were just stubborn and held on to, I got to get that that price, I I need a million dollars it doesn't matter what you need it it, the house is worth what it's worth so you have to get ahead of that that curve that that's out there so that's one thing is pricing but every little detail that goes into marketing a home and getting it sold price is a huge factor but it comes to preparing the home for sale it's it comes to how the home's going to be marketed into the marketplace what mediums is it going to be out there at who's going to be seeing it How is the greatness of that home going to be conveyed to the marketplace? And will it attract buyers to that home? So you've got to be picking on the broker you pick. You've got to be, you know, fastidious on what they're going to do to get the home sold. You have to make sure your home is presented incredibly well, you know, whether it's staging it or whatever it is that you need to do to prepare it for sale, painting it and everything else. So. You just can't skip any steps if you want to get it sold or maximize price.
1: So, Ed, do you think the worst mistake a seller could make is overpricing his home? Like, is, is that- There's
0: no question the most costly mistake sellers make is overpricing the home. It's overpricing the home. It's, you know. But again, I, I look at three things when it comes to selling a home. I, I tell people this all the time. It's, it's no secret for me. But when homes don't sell, they're blaming a lot of things. But I always go to things that are in your control as a seller. What is not in your control is the marketplace, interest rates, the location your home's in. You know, oh, my agent says it's on a busy street. Well, you're not going to change it. It's out of your control. My agent's saying it's not selling because it's a bad floor plan. You're not going to go change the floor plan, right? What is in your control? Price, marketing, and the showing condition. Your marketing is controlled by your agent, the price is controlled by you and your agent, and the showing condition is controlled by you. Those are the three things to focus on. So best advice you would give a buyer today? Best advice I give a buyer today, I always say buy knowing you're buying for the long term. If you're looking for a one-year purchase and you're gonna be out of here in a year, yeah. Go with caution, extreme caution, but buy based on the fact that, hey, can I afford to keep this home for 10 years no matter what's going on in my life? I might get relocated. I might have a job change. But we are going to see cycles in this marketplace. And you know everyone's wondering, oh, will there be a down cycle? Should I wait? Well, the biggest reason we're going to see a downturn in prices is because we have another continual uptick in interest rates. So for those that are buying with financing, there's a high likelihood that buying at a lower price will cost more, which doesn't make sense, right? Because if you can save 10% on your purchase price, but your interest rates go up by 20%, it's actually costing more per month. And a 20% uptick in interest rates right now is not that much.
1: It's a point. So I'm curious, if a buyer were to ask you, I'm sure you get asked this question a variety of ways, but like, what's the best buy out there? Let's pick on Manhattan Beach. Like, mm-hmm. you know, hey Ed, what's the best buy right now in Manhattan Beach? So, what, what, without answering, I'm not. am not asking that question specifically to give me choose the What
0: my sign on it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no. What I'm asking is like, what in your mind? What criteria? metrics criteria do you use to answer that question? uh,
0: 100%. Okay. I'm going to tell you what I like to buy. Not that this is the end all be all, but I like to think about properties that are what we would consider in the real estate industry, A plus locations. So an A plus location, it can be in any part of a city, but it's considered, oh, that's the favorite block or the best street. It's the best street. The people, all everybody wants to live here all the time. And I noticed that in a bad market, A-plus locations still easily sell. In a great market, they make a lot of money. So when it comes down to, you know, it's you've heard the term location, location, location. It does mean a lot. But for those that make a lot of money in real estate, it's timing, timing, timing. So... You know, the truth is, more money's made by buying in a at the end of a down cycle, and it moved up a ton, or
1: because they held on through all of those markets. Buy and hold, Warren Buffett. Buy and hold, buy and hold, buy and hold. Yeah. So interesting. So that's one of the three, you know, rule of thirds that you mentioned before. That you one of the fixed things, location of your home, you know. So yeah, that that makes total sense. So let's talk a bit about the industry and the market. Again, you've been here been doing this thirty one years. What's the biggest change you you know in the industry you've seen since you started three decades ago? There's been no change, right?
0: <laughs> you know, yes and no. there's there's a lot that has remained the same uh, in the industry. But I would say the biggest change is the the movement of information that's available to all consumers, both buyers and sellers. But especially buyers, right? They, they can have a list of every home that's for sale on their phone in a, in a nanosecond. And they're armed with a lot of information. So you have to, in this industry, know more than what is out there. And you know, just because you know what homes are for sale and on what street, sometimes that's not enough information. You know, even in today's market, it can be competitive. With great houses when you want to go buy them and you can lose your dream home because you didn't write the offer the right way you can put a home in a great location for sale and not sell because you presented it wrong you priced it wrong so there's still a lot of great information out there that may not exist online that people think they have that they have to go speak to experts about and and find that out you know Sold homes for 31 years. I still don't know how to draw one. I need an architect to do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of change, I mean, so we started Digs in 2010. And I remember the first time I met you and walked through your door, you were a cold call. You were basically one degree away from the phone book. You know, I knew who you were yeah. before, but I remember I went to one of your brokers and you weren't there. Mm-hmm. Where were you, Ed? And I said, Where's Ed? And they said, Oh, he's at the office. So, I said oh i I know he's there, I'm going there, so I went to go see you and and I remember how impressed I was, just you know seeing all these celebrities that you had represented and mm-hmm. you know John Elway and all these or these these photographs and it was amazing, but you know, I was thinking to my question, like just how much the industry has changed since we first met ten years ago, you know with the disruption in industry, and you have this whole you know, eye buyer phenomenon and direct to consumer and you know, all the consolidation. Right. I mean look at Shorewood's no longer here, although even locally, how much this has been disrupted, South Bay Brokers, you know, is in Vista Sotheby's. There was no Strand Hill Christie's, now there's Strand Hill Christie's, or sure. Shorewood. There you know, it's like that's just on the brokerage level, but you know, in terms of you know, Compass is now a huge, you know, going public company and, and, and different things. So what's your view In terms of like that disruption how is how is that affecting you personally
0: you know i try to stay ahead of that to be honest with you i'm I'm, you see today that there is more demand from consumers of what they want in service what they want in information and i think in order to provide the proper amount of marketing and information and concierge level of services that are expected today you do have to team up honestly you know it's hard to run a one-man show anymore and be everywhere that your clients need you to be and and provide the marketing that needs to get done for for certain special properties and those type of things so that's a big change in the industry that you see real estate moving towards is you know meeting the demands of today's clients.
1: Where do you see this this eye thing going though? Exactly, like you know, the direct to consumer. Do you see that? Of course, the discount commission I, model is, is. I don't know. Is, Listen,
0: every time I see these these ideas pop up, they seem to fall to the wayside over time. I'm right now. I'm picking up uh, messes left by these bloody brick companies or whatever they're called out there, and had listings that are just the sellers are frustrated and failing, and the buyer process is horrible. So I don't know. Does someone figure out a, a new way of doing it that that really works and is effective? I haven't seen it yet. I, I see a lot of flaws in in the the process out there. I see a lot of efficiencies out there that could be improved, though. You know, just from the the lending process that seems to take forever, and the escrow process and everything else that we deal with. I mean, why why do you need thirty days to buy a house? Why can't you buy it in three days, right? Yeah, and that's where technology... Why does, four hours, why does it take four hours to buy a car? Why can't I just go in and buy it in 14 minutes, right? Yeah. So there's, there's always efficiencies, I think, that can be improved. I'm open to them. I'm ready for them. I just don't think I've seen it on the horizon, uh, the, the solution yet.
1: All right, so let's, let's close out with some things people might not necessarily know about you, Ed. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite sport? You know, I, I've, I love football,
0: but I am from Cleveland. It's been a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> we have a good year this year. Fun to watch Baker Mayfield. Uh, but I've learned to love hockey, mainly because these guys are here. They're in town. Many of them become clients and friends. And to be able to watch a sporting team when you have somewhat of a personal relationship with somebody that's out there on the court or on the ice is fun so that has become really uh, an enjoyable sport but i mean now it's october right now we got dodger baseball which is it's too exciting. much we got
1: college football we got right?
0: football we got nba Yeah, <laughs> we it's, got lakers it, starting yeah, with hockey yeah lebron and this, i don't know it's
1: exciting this is the best exciting time time
0: yeah so i know you like to cook i love to cook it's kind of my escape right you what's know? your
1: favorite thing to cook
0: I like cooking without a recipe. I like looking in the fridge and seeing what I have and seeing what I can, you know, create from what ingredients I have. It's my favorite thing to do.
1: So very creative. Yeah. Make it up as you go along. A little bit. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> so, you've. So, what's your favorite? And you talk about change in the industry. Like, how much has Manhattan Beach changed in the last thirty years? I mean, or South oh, Bay, Manhattan all these beach is, cities, it's crazy. I mean, right? Manhattan
0: Beach has dramatically changed. You know it's gone from a little beach town to you know attracting you know very successful business people of all kinds and but it still maintains that great neighborhood small town feel that's the greatest thing about manhattan beach if we speak about that specifically you know it's you still got hometown fair and the lighting of the fireworks and the community comes out and they engage with each other and it's just, it's a beautiful thing to watch and it's hard to find that in Los Angeles. It really is.
1: What's your favorite place to hang? Like in the South Bay or in Manhattan? Where do you, you hang in Manhattan? I mean, today
0: there's no question is as young as I still am. It's with my, my grandkids. You know, I have two daughters who I love spending time with and one of them's got two grandkids now and it's just, it's such a pleasure to spend time with them and see them smile. And as soon as they stop, I give them back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Already. Warren, you know, I know you've been drilling me with questions, but I think to close out, I'd like to ask you a question since I've got the mic. No way. Please do. (laughs) Do you see any industry changes that have been dramatic the last, you know, five or eight years, however long Diggs has been around, that you think is going to affect us as
1: as brokers? That's a great question. And boy, could I go on and on. Um, so, you know, as we as always said, since day one, when we met, you know, we're in this together, like we exist as a media marketing company for you, for the 80-20, for the 20, you know. Um, so as you go, we go. And so I have a very acute focus on what's happening you know outside of the South Bay and what's happening with the Zillows and the compasses and you know all the technology and and you know what what always brings me back to the focal point is real estate is local, these homes are rooted here they're you know the community is rooted here, the schools are rooted here, and you know these big national concerns and, and you know, you can't really get into that hyper local and understand it and be that expert. Right. Um, so this is the sort of the, the moat around the castle, if you will, Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's like the last mile with fiber, right? right? What was the hardest part when fiber, right? Like the last mile. Yeah. Hyper local is the last mile and it's a tough last mile. So
0: that's a very good point.
1: And, and I think, to displace that yes it's we're going to get disrupted and yes there's 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 evolution and technology it it's just a matter of you know it, it it it's going to happen and it's not good or bad it, it's it's evolution no, of- i'm
0: going to give you a good example of that because i I went to New York City recently and we happened to with christie's international real estate we were able to tour four thirty five million dollar properties. one was an absolute fixer upper the other one was a medium fixer upper, one was beautiful, and then one was like a castle. But to be honest with you, I couldn't tell you without talking to someone who is hyper local, if it was worth 35 or 25 or 38. So I think you bring up a, a good, strong point. It, having that really base of knowledge for every block and you know every yeah. angle a home can sit is, is critically important.
1: And that's why we always preach it. And you've heard this from me a million times. It's like, you know, if you want to be around forever as a top performer, and you want to you want to outlast the disruption and and be here, be the last man standing. You you've got to build a local brand. You got to have a a brand that's rooted in this community, centered around the real estate conversation. So you have your own moat, and your reputation precedes you, and that's something that is built to last. You know, and and if you're continuing to work on that, and this is why you know, brand has been very passe, it's, you know, it's been sort of thrown out 10 years ago is no, it's, you know, brands are, are meaningless now. And now the whole brand thing is coming full circle in all the, you know, the experts and the market, right. all the, the branding is branding, it's branding. And, you know, cause we don't, we live in a no trust world now with fake news and internet and we, we live in a content surplus and trust has always been the most important ingredient into relationships sure. and relationships are everything. Um, so without trust and relationship, forget it. And you put local around that, you got it. Yeah. You know.
0: So Well, that being said, I, I, I've enjoyed our partnership together over the years and the fresh thoughts and ideas that you continue to bring to the table and help me build uh, our brand for our customers. And uh, it's been a pleasure working with you, and I look forward to a continued uh, successful relationship.
1: Mm. Likewise, Ed, and thank you for... Being a partner and uh, always a pleasure to see you and to glean insight into the industry. And um, you know, so keep it up and uh, okay. So give us your closing thoughts, Ed.
0: My closing thought is there isn't one answer for everybody. It doesn't matter what the market's doing out there. It doesn't mean that it is dictating what you should do as a buyer or seller. You have to look at your individual situation. How long are you gonna live in a home? What kind of home do you need? Why are you buying a home? You know, Are you in a terrible rental situation, don't ever want to rent again? Why are you selling a home? Is it going to put you in a great stress relief situation by selling your house? Or are you leaving money on the table and you have the luxury of not wanting to leave money on the table and you want to keep it for another five or ten years? You're okay with that. This market does not dictate exactly what to do. Know your personal situation. Sit down with your financial planner. Talk to your lender. Talk to your spouse, and and discuss everything that's important before making a decision. And turn down the noise that's out there on the radio and the TV and the papers. And look at yourself individually. Ask smart questions, then make a decision.
1: That's great. All right. On that note, I think that's uh, terrific, and I think hopefully we've we've provided some value to the audience and. Uh... We look forward to doing it again soon. And uh, thanks again, Ed, for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Warren. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you found some value. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review. Find us on iTunes and your favorite podcast provider. Until next time. Thank you to our sponsor, Bow Concepts.